Hello, welcome to the David Eagle Podcast. You're listening to the weekly omnibus editions of David's Daily Digital Dollop. David's Daily Digital Dollop was a project in 2016 which saw me release a podcast every single day for that year. But in order to streamline things so that we don't have 366 podcasts just for 2016 alone, I have created these weekly omnibus editions. This is week 14. We're heading into April. We've left Australia. We're back in England. When you hear this sound, that means we're moving on to the next dollop. Enjoy. Within two minutes of disembarking the plane, it was patently clear that we were in London. In the customs queue, waiting to get our passports checked to allow us back into the country, I heard the following sentence from a very posh, upper-class-sounding man. Yo, Charles, would you pop into Waitrose and pick up a quinoa salad for Victoria? Great. Ciao. There were written notices and audio announcements instructing us not to use our phones until we were out of the customs area. However, I've just done some googling and it appears that there is a caveat in that rule that states that it is okay to use your phone if you're a posh upper class if you're a posh upper class hipster who's simply trying to procure a South American who's simply trying to procure some South American food from an... who's simply trying to procure some South American food from a... who's simply trying to procure some South American food... who's simply... Ah! I'm jet-lagged! I can't do this! <laughs> oh my God! I feel like I'm moving! I feel like I can still feel turbulence and I'm not even moving! I'm stationary! Ah, oh, I feel so weird that I could just imagine this is a dream and I'm gonna wake up in 30 seconds and I'm still on the bloody plane. It's just been excruciating. Right, let's start that again. I mean, you know where it's going, it's bloody obvious where it's going, the, the, the mild joke work will snap that bit again. However, I've just done some Googling and it appears that there is a caveat to the rule that states that it is okay to use your phone if you're a posh upper-class hipster who's simply trying to procure some South American food from an upmarket outlet. So that's fine then. So I'm back in England after a really successful Australian tour where we only managed to anger one person, or at least that's all we know about anyway. I feel as if I have so much more that I could write about. I was running through today's dollop in my head on the plane, and I had some really good ideas. But that was before the deep brain... But that was before the deep brain thrombosis set in and addled my mind. I'm writing this in the car on the very last leg of what's going to amount to a 30-hour journey. Now, let's just hope that I don't get back home and discover that the Wi-Fi is down. It would be ridiculous if I've managed to keep this challenge going in spite of the fact that I've been in Australia for the the last three weeks, only to discover that I can't get on the internet in my own house to release the 90th dollop. Well, I can. I don't know whether you, there's any point in releasing it. It's not particularly brilliant, but oh, I need to get. I need to go to sleep anyway. I woke up this morning to the sound of birds. Just to be clear, I am referring to the feathered creatures, just in case you thought that, being the sexist chauvinist that I apparently am, I had decided to employ a harem of women to sleep in my bed, who were chatting away with each other, as women, of course, are prone to doing, on and on relentlessly. Obviously, if this harem of chatty women did exist, then presumably they'd be talking about shopping or makeup. And before any women write to me and say that I'm being sexist, I want to reiterate again that I am not sexist, I am 
merely just stating a fact, which is very different. You are just being oversensitive, which is only natural because you're a woman, and women tend to get a bit oversensitive. It's probably just your time of the month or something. Don't worry your pretty little heads about it. Anyway, I woke up at 5.30 in the morning to the sound of birds outside. It was a really beautiful experience. The birds of Australia sound very different. I think that the birds of England are much more melodic. Perhaps the oversensitive Australian woman from the Blue Mountains Festival is listening to this, and she will now be seething at this comment, seeing it as proof that as well as being sexist, I am also racist. And my preferences for the bird sounds of England is proof of my anti-Antipodean opinions. I think it's the familiarity of the sounds that I appreciated, and after 30 hours of sitting in a metal box emitting the same annoying, droning, whining sounds, that's the plane that's doing that, not me. I found the sounds of the bird song quite joyous, emotional, and life-affirming. I just lay there basking in the beautiful sounds until I noticed that there was another sound lurking below the birds. It was the noise of the aeroplane's persistent drone and whine. For a brief moment, I was filled with horror. Had I been dreaming? Had I dreamt that my journey had ended and that I was at home in bed with the sounds of birds outside? Was I about to wake up and realise that I was still on the plane with another 15 hours to go? Apparently, the brain constructs our reality partly around what sensory information it expects to receive, rather than simply what it's actually receiving, so we can get the information transmitted to us quicker. So, even though there wasn't actually a droning, whining plane sound occurring... My brain had presumably processed that sound for so long that it was still presenting it to me, assuming it to be still present. Similarly, I could also feel sensations of movement, even though I was lying motionless on the bed. It felt as if I was still on the plane experiencing turbulence. I could feel myself rising and falling. I focused with more intensity on my actual surroundings, the feel of the bed beneath me and the birds outside. And after a few minutes, the droning and whining and sensations of movement began began to dissipate. But it was an odd experience while it lasted. I got back home last night at about 8pm. The first thing that I did was to go upstairs to the bathroom in order to brush my teeth. I hadn't brushed them for 44 hours. I brushed them upon waking up on Tuesday morning before checking out of the hotel. In my rush to leave the hotel, I left the toothpaste behind. I suppose I could have bought a mini toothpaste at the airport, but with all the hassle making sure that we were in the right place at the right time, I never got round to it. So as soon as I got back to my house, I went upstairs to give my teeth a good brush, which I was really looking forward to doing as my teeth were hurting due to the lack of cleaning. I rinsed the toothbrush under the tap and reached out for the toothpaste but it wasn't there. Ben and Elsa had decided to go on a mini break to Spain for five days and had seemingly taken the toothpaste with them. I appreciate that the way that I've structured that last sentence makes it seem as if I'm suggesting that they brought the toothpaste on the holiday with them as a companion. Perhaps you listened to that sentence and then just jumped to that assumption, maybe thinking that it was another quirky thing that the French did. There was no toothpaste. I've only just got back home after 30 hours of travelling and I really needed a shower and to brush my teeth before I went to the shop. It's not as if I could just go to a shop, pick up the toothpaste and leave without exchanging a word with anyone. Being blind, I'd need to interact with the people in Sainsbury's, the nearest shop to me, in order to get help finding the toothpaste. I dreaded to think what my teeth must look like and how my breath must smell after almost two days without being brushed. Plus, I hadn't had a shower for about 60 hours, two and a half days. I'd planned on getting in the shower when I woke up on the Tuesday morning, but I didn't 
didn't wake up until five minutes before we had to check out of the hotel and I still needed to pack. So I just hurriedly brushed my teeth, packed and left. I really didn't like the idea of going to my local shop and interacting with the staff who know me without first having a good wash and brushing my teeth. But I couldn't brush my teeth until I went to Sainsbury's and got some toothpaste. I considered my options. I wondered whether I should put a bit of soap or shower gel on the toothbrush, give my teeth a quick brush before spitting and thoroughly rinsing. Was that better than not brushing them at all? I didn't know how safe it was to stick shower gel in my mouth. I figured that it would be absolutely fine so long as I didn't swallow it, and I'd only use a little bit. But would that make a difference? In theory, it should, I reasoned. If there are any dentists listening to this, or dilettant teeth enthusiasts, let me know your thoughts on this. In the end, I just used the toothbrush and water and did as thorough a job as I could without toothpaste. I then checked Sainsbury's opening times and realised that I didn't have time to go in the shower and get out before the shop would have closed, so I'd have to go tomorrow morning, meaning by that point that I'd be 60 hours without having given my teeth a brush. I'm sure many of you who are listening to this are now getting quite excited at the prospect that finally, after weeks of waiting, I am about to impart another story from Sainsbury's. But unfortunately, I was going to have to minimise my interactions as much as possible, as I really didn't want anyone to smell my breath. Before heading out, I gave my teeth another toothpasteless brush. I searched the house for mints, but there was nothing to be found. I went to Sainsbury's and asked for some assistance, only to be greeted enthusiastically by my usual lady, now infamous to David's Daily Digital Dollop listeners, of course. This was the very thing that I was dreading. Hi, welcome back. How was Australia? Oh, you'll have to tell me all about it, she excitedly declared. I tried to answer all of her many questions as succinctly as I could, while also making sure not to face her or really open my mouth at all. On the plus side, this meant that she wouldn't be able to smell my breath or see my discoloured teeth, but it probably made me seem very weird not facing her and speaking with my mouth open. I've made this woman out to be a bit eccentric and odd, maybe even a bit unintelligent and ignorant about a lot of things, but to her, I probably seemed really unusual with my weird way of talking and my refusal to face her. For all I know, she might have her own blog, where readers are being treated to stories about the weird, halitosis-ridden blind man who comes into the shop, buying pretentious vegetables that no one has ever heard of before, who's not clever enough to have realised that the key principle of talking is to open your mouth. I got the toothpaste, jogged back home, and had the best teeth-brushing experience of my life. And that's really saying something, because I've had some bloody incredible teeth-brushing experiences in my time. But I'll save those stories for another day and another blog. Or possibly, I'll wait until the book comes out and make you pay for them. It would be a shame to give them away for free and squander the financial potential of those brilliant stories. I'll have a chat with my branding and marketing team about that when I've recovered from my jet lag. I'm now over a quarter of the way through this project. Only 274 consecutive daily blog posts to go. Easy beansy. Hang on. No, that's not right, is it? It's easy peasy, isn't it? Sorry, I got peas and beans confused there. I've clearly been spending too much time with my lady friend at Sainsbury's. Oh yes, yet another hilarious joke courtesy of David's Daily Digital Dollop. What are you going to do with your lives when this project is over and you're not treated to jokes like that on a daily basis anymore? Anyway, you don't have to worry about that for a while. My frequent references to Sainsbury's has caused a little bit of disgruntlement with one Michael Wackington who commented on Dollop 90 saying, Sainsbury's? Not your local co-op? 
When I first mentioned that I'd gone to Sainsbury's in these dollops, I was sure that someone would question my shopping habits, suggesting that I shouldn't be using supermarkets. This is the problem with going around the world singing all these songs of social conscience. People expect you to actually really have those values, rather than just the fact that obviously you only do it for financial gain. Conning the gullible lefty idiots out of their money. We tell them all sorts of nonsense, and they just lap it up, the feckless fools. Our CDs are made out of biodegradable material and contain 100% organic music recorded in a studio which is powered purely by the sun. <laughs> Actually, this statement isn't entirely false. Although, what the gullible lefty idiots don't know is that when I say the sun, I am not referring to solar power, but the fact that our albums are funded by Rupert Murdoch's tabloid newspaper. In fact, if you listen to our albums in reverse, you'll discover that it's littered with subliminal, sensationalist, factually inaccurate right-wing propaganda. The only reason none of the folk magazines or radio stations have outed us is because of our connections with Murdoch, meaning that we've got access to everyone's personal phone calls and data, and we've amassed a large archive of incriminating evidence, which we're ready to unleash on the public if word gets out. One false move from Mark Radcliffe, and we'll reveal what he got up to in Soho in July 2010. One tiny remark from Mike Harding, and you'd all get to hear about that thing with a goat in August 2012. There's a reason why we won the BBC Radio 2 Folk Award last year. You didn't think it was because of talent, did you? We're hardly going to win the Folk Award on merit, at least not until we ditch Michael. And we'll win it this year as well. Unless one of the other nominated bands has done a similar deal with a disreputable tabloid publication. Anyway, the reason I shop at Sainsbury's, Michael Wackington, is because it is only a five minutes walk away from where I live. Plus, it is well staffed, meaning that it's easy for me to get help from someone, because being blind, I need someone to get the things for me. My nearest cop is over a mile away, and it is nowhere near as big or as well staffed, meaning that it would probably be more difficult to get someone to go around with me and do the shopping. In my defence, when I was living in Manchester, I used to shop at all of the uh, independent stores in my street. Also, at that time I was in a relationship with a girl who lived right next to a corp. I know, check me out. In fact, that's the reason we started going out. She mentioned her proximity to the corp, and I instantly became sexually aroused. She'd inadvertently discovered my sexual Achilles heel, and I just couldn't resist. The next thing I knew, we were both naked. Let's just say that the shop wasn't the only thing in her street that night that was cooperative. <laughs> I'm suggesting that we had sex just in case the joke was too subtle for you there. Let's just say that the shop wasn't the only thing in her street that night that was doing special offers, eh? <laughs> I'm referring to sex again there. I don't want you to miss these jokes because they're too clever for your unsophisticated mind. Let's just say that it wasn't just the prices in the shop in her street that were dropping that night. <laughs> That's a joke about her dropping her knickers because we had sex. Let's just say that the shop wasn't the only thing in her street that was open all night. <laughs> yeah, let's just say that the shop wasn't the only thing in her street that night that was experiencing unexpected items in the bagging area. <laughs> let's just say that the shop wasn't the only thing in her street that night that... Um... No, I, I think I've run out. Even a comedy genius like me has his limits. Feel free to insert your own. Oh, which, come to think of it, is one of the things that she said to me that night. <laughs> I'm unstoppable!
So, if it's any consolation for Michael Wackington, when I was going out with my girlfriend, we would often shop at the co-op. If you feel as if me shopping at Sainsbury's is in some way unethical, blame it on my ex-girlfriend for breaking up with me. If we were still together, then I'd still be shopping at the co-op. In fact, we'd probably be buying even more food than before, because we'd be comfort eating in order to take our minds off our miserable, failing relationship. I'll text her and suggest that we get back together. After all, we owe it to the planet, and then we can restart our previous failed relationship simply in order to save the world. And obviously we'll have to have lots of sex. Not because we want to, or in any way still have feelings for each other, but because the more sex we have, the more condoms we buy from the co-op, making our ethical cause all the more stronger. In fact, why don't we go the whole hog, which come to think of it was another of the things that she said to me that night, and get married. We could have a cooperative wedding, with everything sourced from the co-op. All the food, the confetti, we could have one of the DJs on the co-op store's radio station doing the wedding disco. And then it probably wouldn't be too long before we'd get on each other's tits again, due to us being essentially utterly incompatible, meaning that we'd drive each other insane and end up killing each other. Of course, this would be great news for the cooperative, because we'd already have given instructions to our families that in the event of our deaths, we'd want a lavish funeral, provided, of course, by cooperative funeral care. A perfect, flawless, ethical, world-saving plan. I'm sure you'll agree, Michael Wackington. Michael also asked me if I'd tasted the Australian fruit, the finger lime, while I was down under, which sadly I didn't, as I wasn't aware that it existed until now. If Peter Kay wants the finger lime line, I can split the royalties with you, writes Michael. Excellent thinking, Michael, although I think the fruit might be a little bit too niche for the English fans, but I'm sure it would go down a treat in Australia, assuming, of course, that the Australian audiences have sophisticated enough comedy palettes to appreciate the joke. But I can hear it now. I also want to buy a finger lime. What? A what? Finger? Lime? Finger? As in, like, a lime that tastes of a finger? <laughs> no, thank you. I mean, I wouldn't imagine it would taste very nice. Huge eruption of laughter and 30 minutes of wild applause. Obviously, I don't have the skills of delivery to do the joke justice, but Peter Kay would tear the place apart with that one. Well done, Michael Wackington. Excellent to have you on board. <laughs> Finger lime. Finger lime. <laughs> Finger lime. <laughs> no, no, no. I've got to deliver it better than that. You see, Peter, Peter Kay... We'll do it a lot better. Finger? Lime? Uh, it's not... I'm not getting it, am I? Finger? Lime? Uh, that was better. That was good. No, it's, I think it's best to leave it in the, the hands of the professional. Tonight we're going to party like it's 2099. I think I've discovered the future of partying. So I'm at my friend Aisha's house and she's got this keyboard. And the keyboard claims to be able to get the party started. It claims to be the perfect keyboard for parties. God, it gets quite a big write-up, this keyboard by Yamaha. All about how brilliant it is and how it's great at like, providing party music. And that people can use the various buttons that are on it. I mean, it hasn't really got that much, to be honest. It's quite a small keyboard. It's a, it's a portable version of a bigger keyboard. So when you listen to this, bear in mind two things. Firstly, that I've never touched this keyboard 
keyboard before, apart from like for two minutes. And secondly, this is just a portable version. This is what they're going to be playing with in the local clubs. They'd probably go for like the bigger scale model Yamaha keyboard for your big festivals. Maybe even buy two keyboards so that you can mix the keyboards together. Maybe even a cheeky Casio on the side. As I've been writing quite lengthy dollops of recent, I thought we'd just do something a little bit different. A quick audio dollop. I'm going to take you into a world where the DJ isn't using decks, CDs or records or anything like that. He's using the Yamaha keyboard. So let's give it a go. I'm going to turn the keyboard on and we're like, let's let's party. Let's transport you to this club. All right, everybody, here we go. Check this out, people. <laughs> bring the beat back. Bring, bring the beat back, you bloody idiot. Hang on a second, everybody. We'll bring the beat back. There it is. Oh. In the room in the club. Sorry about not bringing the beat back there. Uh, it was a bit of a problem, but we're, we're on the dance floor now. <laughs> oh yeah Okay, what's next? We're going in. Oh! <laughs> okay, we're mixing it up a bit now, people. I know a lot of you are thinking, what the heck's going on? But don't worry, this is the remix. Here we go! Oh! Oh! Okay, ladies and gentlemen, are you ready? I can't hear you. I said, are you ready? Ah, okay. Bring the beat back. <laughs> We're just going to bring it back. Just a second. We're having a few problems. A few teething problems with the beat. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be bringing it back. Don't worry. Hang on. Just keep the momentum. I just Hang on. Are you ready, everybody? Yeah, 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 we said we were ready before. I know, but we're just having a few problems with the beat. Hang on. <laughs> you sure you're ready now? Yeah, we're, we're sure we're ready, David, yeah. Hang on a second. Hang on. No, don't leave the club, don't leave the club. We'll be... Hang on. There we go. <laughs> Have a bit more Mozart while we try and sort this out. <laughs> no, please don't leave the club. Oh, bloody hell, David. This DJ is pathetic. We're going to have to knock the the, part, the price of the bar down now. Right. Oh, I've, got, I've just been told it's 50% off all beers. Oh, that's it. Yeah, you, it's, we'll get the music sorted. Hang on. Hang on. Ah, ladies and gentlemen, we've... We're back. 
Okay, here we go. Go, you're not go, you're not go, you're not go, The DJ's back in town. <laughs> Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> hey, Mr. DJ. Hey, Mr. DJ. Put a record on. What? Excuse me, sir. I don't have any records. I'm I'm a Yamaha keyboard DJ. Records. <laughs> Why do we need records when we've got the Yamaha keyboard and my skills? I can do requests. How about a bit of Mozart? Do you fancy a bit of Mozart? No, I don't want any more. I want some bloody dance music or something. Some pop music, mate. What kind of music? If I was going to put a record on, what would you want to hear? I don't know, a bit of Beyonce or something. Beyonce? I can do Beyonce for you. Absolutely fine. I'm looking so crazy right now. Your love's got me looking so crazy right now. Love me looking so crazy right now. Love's got me looking so crazy right now. Love me looking so crazy right now. Love's got me looking so crazy right now. Give me some flavor the gloves. Got me looking, got me looking so crazy in love. Looking so crazy in love. Got me looking, got me looking so crazy in love. I hope the hangover from our crazy party last night wasn't too bad for you all this morning. I woke up really refreshed. I think my sleeping patterns may be back to normal. As I fell asleep at 11pm and slept right through until 7am, feeling fully awake. I then did an article about the young'uns for the big issue. So I've already written 2,000 words today, and now I've got to write some more. I mean, I suppose I could just cheat and use my big issue article as today's dollop, but then I am a little bit worried that this might affect the newspaper's sales, resulting in homeless people all over the country starving to death. Of course, this is working on the assumption that I am going to be that day's main story, the big draw to get people to buy. But I'd hate it if word got back to me from the big issue that they'd not seen the major boost to newspaper sales that they'd imagined my presence would have afforded them. I don't want to hear back from a member of Big Issue staff that a load of potential buyers picked up the newspaper, saw my front page article, I assume it'll be on the front page, said, oh, it's a brilliant article, yeah, I read that for free on David's website last night, and then walked off, maybe chuckling to themselves, remembering their favourite line from the article that's still fresh in their memories because of how funny it was. While the poor Big Issue vendor shivers in the street next to a pile of sold newspapers because everyone's already read it online for free and have already printed out their own copies, laminated it and put it on their bedroom walls. Curse that David Eagle. The big issue staff told me that today's newspaper would sell so many copies that I'd be able to buy a house. Why did David have to put it online for free? The bastard. 
Why? I don't want to be a figure of hate amongst the homeless community of Britain. I'm not sure when my article is coming out, and I'll probably won't get to know. I'd hope, though, that the blog post wouldn't result in people approaching a big issue seller, picking up the newspaper, rifling through it to see whether I'm in that day's publication. Not that they'd actually have to rifle, because obviously I'd be on the front page as their leading story. And then, upon discovering that there's no article by me, putting the paper down and then walk off. Perhaps I should email the big issue to warn them that this might happen and ask them to alert me as to the day of my article's inclusion. In order to avoid this kind of thing occurring, which could be pretty psychologically damaging to the poor big issue sellers. My housemate Ben and Elsa return from their holiday in Spain tonight, which will be good news for any dollop listeners who have missed those particular characters. I don't know if there's anyone out there listening to this who has missed their mentions in these dollops, but that news may bring cheer to someone. I'm in the house and have no plans until Saturday, so I hope that Ben and Elsa will be able to offer some inspiration for these dollops and not just be all boring and ordinary around the house. One of the terms and conditions of me moving into the house was that I wrote about them, and I haven't done that for the last month due to being in Australia. But now that we will be once again united tonight, I am obliged to start writing about them again. Now and again they deliberately do things in order to gain dollop inclusion. Elsa bought a needlessly complicated kettle, knowing that I'd mentioned her in my dollop, which obviously succeeded because it spawned my hilarious kettle-based observations. Who knows, maybe they'll have brought back another needlessly complicated household appliance for me to write about. Oh, what excitement, friends! I went to Asda today. That's right, not Sainsbury's, you can't pin me down. I thought I'd mix it up a little bit for the blog. Some bloggers get stuck in their ways, it gets a bit stale, they just stand still, writing about the same supermarket over and over again, but not me. Let's keep it moving, keep it fresh. Sorry, Michael Wackington, that it wasn't the Quarp, but Ben wanted to buy some clothes and some drain unblocker, as well as food, and the Quarp just wasn't going to cut it on this occasion. But there's still another 270 dollops to go. God, is there? So there's plenty of time to write about out a visit to the corp. As we wandered through the shop, we were treated to the sounds of Asda FM Live. The voiceover kept proudly declaring that the station was Asda FM Live. Even though it sounded like it was just an automated station comprising pop music and a few adverts for Asda products, there was nothing to suggest that the station was broadcasting live. There wasn't a presenter, there wasn't any calls, no travel bulletins. And thanks to Jenny, currently shopping at the Asda Superstore in Luton, who called to let us know over hold up at the drinks aisle, apparently due to a spilled crate of beer caused by an accidental collision with a trolley being pushed by a harassed and flummoxed parent. Staff are currently cleaning up the spillage and the drinks aisle should be free moving once again very soon. We will of course bring you more news on that as we get it. No weather reports. As the store's average temperature is 21 degrees Celsius, that's 70 degrees Fahrenheit, although things do get a little bit cooler as we head towards the frozen food section with an ambient temperature of about 7 degrees Celsius, that's 45 degrees Fahrenheit. Highs of 23 degrees Celsius, 73 degrees Fahrenheit, that's in our bakery aisles. But alas, none of that, sadly. It was clearly just an automated station, yet the voiceover kept saying, Asda FM, live. But what did they mean by live? Surely they didn't employ someone merely to sit there and occasionally press a few buttons, given that an automated playout system could replicate that just as easily. In fact, it sounded exactly like an automated system, making that person's job completely redundant. Even if it was an automated system, they could have still recorded a presenter doing some links that they could have interspersed throughout the music, which would have made it sound a little bit 
bit more live, but they didn't even do that. So I really think that it's stretching the point to call the radio station Asda FM Live. In fact, even the FM part of the station name is a lie, because they're not broadcasting on FM. Basically, the whole Asda FM Live thing is a complete sham, and it's about time someone was brave enough to say it. At least the Corpse radio station actually have real presenters. Isn't that right, Michael? Yeah. The voiceover and the jingles would frequently inform us Asda FM is online and in store which I was quite surprised to hear that Asda FM is available online, given that it was just a selection of fairly generic pop music that can be found on every pop commercial radio station in the Western world, interspersed with Asda-based adverts. Why would anyone choose to listen to Asda FM online? Who are these people who choose Asda FM as their favourite radio station to listen to at home? Anyway, we got everything that we needed in Asda, including the drain and blocker, which cost £4 for just a tiny bottle. We took it home and poured it down the sink. Despite the smallness of the bottle, it seemed to do the job. But still, that's four quid down the drain. Ah, thank you. Actually, that wasn't my joke. It was actually Ben's joke. I told you that these blogs would start picking up once Ben and Elsa got back, didn't I? Yesterday, Facebook rolled out a new feature which describes Facebook photos to blind people. While this could be seen as a great step forward for accessibility and equality, in practical terms, all it means is that now blind people will have to endure hearing about superfluous, pointless crap such as photo of average-looking lasagna, photo of fairly generic-looking spaghetti bolognese. In the past, our screen readers would have simply ignored these photos, but not anymore. I mean, I'm all for technology making the world more accessible and equal, but at the same time I am not too happy about being dragged into this whole new world of tedium. There are few advantages to being blind, but being able to skip pointless pictures of people's meals was certainly one of the rare bonuses. And now Facebook have taken that one gift away from us, the evil bastards. Today is a very special day for my housemates Ben and Elsa, as they are taking their relationship to the next level. They have bought something called a love chair, also known as a snuggle chair. They are both playing this purchase down, claiming that it's merely a compact, practical chair. But I think this is clearly a major step forward in their partnership. They have reached the snuggling stage of their relationship. Who knows? Give it a year and they might be sleeping in the same bed. But for now, I don't think that they're ready for that. And so naturally, Elsa will continue to share my bed with me until they are ready. It's important for them not to rush these things, as I am at pains to remind them. But I am really happy for them both that they have reached the snuggling stage and that they have expressed their love for each other through the medium of chair purchase. Elsa has been at work all day, so me, Ben and Sean went in the young'un's van to pick up the chair, which was at someone's house, and Ben had found a second-hand deal on Gumtree. The three of us went into the house. We all had a sit in the snuggle chair, and it was very comfortable. But the husband and wife, who had owned the chair, insisted that two people needed to try it. It's a snuggle chair, she implored, designed for two people to sit together, and it's much more comfortable when two people are sat on it, rather than just one. Ben and I both sat on the chair together. It's essentially a chair designed for couples, and it's quite intimate as there's not much space. The cushions also sink quite low, and the way that it sinks causes the two people to recline together. 
Oh, you both look very homely on there, the lady said, sounding very pleased. I think Sean and I had both started to realise that the husband and wife had obviously assumed that Ben and I were gay in the way that they were looking at us and interacting with us. I don't know why it mattered what the old couple thought about us, but for some reason I started to try and explain to them that I wasn't Ben's partner. I just happened to live with Ben. Oh no, I'm, I'm not Ben's partner, I said as I got out of the seat. Ben still hadn't cottoned on to the couple's assumption. He was too busy assessing the chair, checking that it didn't have any blemishes. Ben turned to Sean, patted the seat, and invited Sean to sit next to him. This made the couple then assume that if I wasn't Ben's partner, then Sean must be. Ah, yes, you both look very homely on there, the wife said, sounding even more pleased, as if trying to compensate for her previous mistake. Last time she'd said that Ben and I looked homely, before discovering that we weren't actually partners. So, this time, she presumably said very homely, and delivered it with extra relish, so as to placate Sean, in case he felt jealous by the couple's previous assumption. Sean, like me, for some reason felt the need to correct the woman's assumption about being gay, and in a relationship with Ben, and so he also pointed out to the woman that they weren't a couple. He explained that Ben and I lived together and that he was a friend. Ben, for some reason, decided to add some extra information to that statement, mentioning that although technically me and Ben lived together, me and Sean probably spent more time away with each other than I spent at home with him. This was meant to be a casual throwaway statement about me and Sean being away gigging quite a lot, but without the inclusion of the gigging element, that merely seemed to make the couple more confused as they tried to work out who was with whom. We're away playing together quite a lot, I began, but seemingly the pause between the next fact was too long for Sean, and so he hastily interjected. In a band, he means. We're in a a band together. A folk band, I added. In hindsight, I think that it's safe to say that the line, we're away playing together quite a lot, although intended as a harmless statement, did seem a little suggestive, given the thoughts that seemed to be running through this confused couple's heads. Sean instantly realised this, which is why he'd interrupted so quickly to point out that when I said we're away playing together a lot, I was referring to playing in a band. Sean's hurried comment about being in a band made me realise how my original statement must have come across. Therefore, in order to make up for my previous accidental euphemistic line, I decided to furnish them with more information to help give more credibility to our explanation. So, I added, a folk band. It's a folk band. But I think this probably sounded to the couple like I'd added this extra bit of information because I'd realised that our cover story wasn't sounding particularly convincing. There was a bit of a pause. The wife cleared her throat, and then the husband asked, So... Um, what instruments do you play? The wife cleared her throat again, maybe because she was a bit nervous and wished that her husband hadn't asked that question, as now we'd have to manufacture more lies and develop this already fragile cover story. Sean and I both spoke at the same time. I said, I play the accordion, and Sean said, it's unaccompanied singing. We were both correct, as we do a mix of unaccompanied songs and also play with instruments. But for someone who didn't know our band, it sounded like two completely contradictory statements. 
as if we were both just continuing to badly busk our cover story, trying to hide the fact that we were in a three-way relationship with Ben. There was another pause, and the wife cleared her throat again. Sean and I realised how ridiculous this whole thing was becoming, and started laughing. Ben had become to cotton on to what was going on as well, and he started laughing. This only made the three of us more embarrassed, and no doubt even more like we were in a three-way relationship, which we were completely failing to cover up. When we'd stopped laughing, we decided just to give up our attempts to explain that we weren't in a three-way relationship, as it was clearly a lost cause. You are? Thank you. Spaghetti bolognese will be ready in a couple of minutes, says Ben. But it won't be generic, I'm sure. Ben hurriedly handed over the money, and we took the chair out to our van, helped by the husband. As I've mentioned before, the young'un's van is meant to be a three-seater vehicle, but in reality it's more of a two-and-a-half-seater, as the three of us are squashed very tightly together. I don't think seeing me, Ben and Sean squashed very close together in a tiny van did anything to disavow the couple of the notion that we were in a three-way relationship with each other. They probably assumed that we'd bought the van deliberately because of its intimate size, which is why we'd also bought an intimate snuggle chair. They probably assumed that the three of us drove home in our intimate van, got the chair in and then spent the rest of the day snuggling together, which of course is not what happened at all. We only spent half the day snuggling because Sean had to go home to his fiancé to sort out things for their forthcoming wedding, which, let's face it, is clearly a smokescreen to distract people from Sean's real relationship with me and Ben. Oh, what the hell? There's no point in denying it. And before you ask, no, there is absolutely nothing going on between any of us and Michael. We've not stooped that low. After our love chair adventure, see yesterday's dollop if you're confused, Sean, Ben and myself went to a music shop to buy a new keyboard for the young'uns tour which starts next week. Although you'll of course know that because you'll have already got your tickets for one of the gigs. Obviously. If you enjoy these free dollops and you can show your appreciation by coming to one of the gigs, otherwise I might be forced to sell my computer to make ends meet and there'll be no more dollops. I know that some of you might be put off by the fact that there'll be two other people sharing the stage with me and that you'd rather it just be me for 90 minutes talking about kettles and going to the shops, but think of you coming to one of these gigs as an investment in the possibility of one day making that a reality, because if I get enough money, then I'll be able to concentrate on putting together such a solo show in the future. It's important to support the young'uns in order to support my future solo career, so please buy a ticket and try and tolerate the other two, if only to help make my 90-minute stand-up show about my kettle a reality. But if you really can't bear listening to Sean talking and singing about his dead grandmother, then you don't have to come to the gig, just buy a ticket. We wanted to sell our old keyboard and buy a new one, and we hoped that we could do both at our local music shop. We did some internet research before setting off to find out what the old keyboard keyboard was selling for, and also to ascertain the price of the new keyboard. Upon entering the music shop, we noticed that the price of the keyboard was quite a lot higher than it was at the other stores. However, we ideally wanted to sort this purchase out there and then, part exchanging it for the old keyboard, rather than having to faff around with eBay, which would involve having to wait for buyers and bidders, and then sorting out the packaging and posting. But the price was ridiculously high. I anticipated getting about £200 for the old keyboard, and even knocking £200 off the price of this new keyboard would still only mean that we'd paid the full price for it. What would still only mean? It's not very well worded, it's, and it's just a lot of numbers, basically. This isn't it. But anyway, bear with it, because it gets a bit better as we go on. 
readers to the dollop won't have that benefit of hindsight there. They might have given up now because, what well, this? Just, just saying figures here. Yeah, but just trust me, it'll, it'll get better. Given that the price of the keyboard was priced at £200 higher in this shop. Didn't follow that in the slightest. I mean, I've, I've written that and I didn't even follow it. I might have to change that if I get time for the print version. If I was by myself, I might basically what I'm trying to say is it wasn't a very good deal. If I was by myself, I might have given up and walked out of the shop. Perhaps I might make some sort of diffident inquiry about whether we could maybe get the price of the keyboard down a little bit, but I don't think that I'd possess the requisite confidence or staying power to properly haggle. I turned to the other two to suggest that we left the shop, but Ben had already marched purposefully towards the counter. By the time that I'd joined him at the counter, mere seconds later, he had already talked the man into knocking £100 off the price. But he hadn't finished yet. Ben proceeded to execute some highly impressive heckling tactics. It was me who was buying the keyboard, but it was very much Ben who was in control of the situation. After a further couple of minutes of impressive haggling, Ben managed to get the price down by another £100. He had now got the price down to match the price set by the other stores, which were just searched online. Ben had also managed to get them to take the old keyboard for £250, which was better than I'd anticipated, given that it was an old model. Brilliant, I thought, and reached into my bag for my card. But then I felt Ben tug my arm. Come on, lads, we're walking, he said, and proceeded to march in the direction of the door. Sean and I followed, even though I was happy to accept the price that they were offering. It would be much more of a hassle to sell the old keyboard on eBay, and at least that this would take care of both buying and selling in one place, and we'd end up with a profit. But Ben had said, we're walking, with a kind of authority that I'd not heard from him before. But Ben's ploy completely worked, as just as we were reaching the door, the man called us back and knocked another £50 off the keyboard. Now you're talking my language, Ben said again, with a kind of confidence, swagger in his voice that I'd never heard from him before. I once again reached into my bag to retrieve my card, to pay. But it transpired that when Ben had said, now you're talking my language, that hadn't meant that the haggling had finished. It went on for another ten minutes. At first, Sean and I felt a bit awkward and embarrassed. But as time went on, I began to really start enjoying it. Ben had managed to knock a further £70 off the price, but was still endeavouring to talk the man down by another £5. But the man was having none of it. Neither of them were budging. Eventually, the man agreed to knock an extra pound off, but stated in a very self-assured voice that this was definitely his final offer. Ben accepted, and I was finally allowed to get my card out and pay, shaking slightly with the whole adrenaline and excitement of it all. I was massively impressed with this other side of Ben that I'd never seen before, and when we got home, I snuggled him extra hard in the love chair to show my gratitude. Which, let's face it, is probably the reason why he'd haggled so well on my behalf in the first place. <laughs>